So last week we began our summer sermon series where we have a family reunion with the families of the book of Genesis. And it began with the call of Abram. Remember, before he was Abraham, before he was Father Abraham, who had many sons, before he was the great pillar of faith for the world's three great monotheistic religions, he was known as Abram. And Abram was a nomad whose family line came from Ur of the Chaldeans, somewhere in modern-day Iraq. By the time we meet him, though, he and his family are living in Haran, near the modern-day border between Turkey and Syria. And that's when God's word comes to him and says, leave behind everything you've ever known, and I will take you to a land that I will show you. And Abram goes. It's a pretty remarkable thing. First, because we know nothing about Abram to this point in the story. We know nothing of his abilities or his trustworthiness. And we find out later, of course, that Abram has a lot of difficulty in being trustworthy for this God and following this God. And, and yet, God calls him. God takes a risk. It's remarkable, too, because at this point, Abram has had no known contact with God. And yet, he leaves behind everything he's ever known to follow this unknown God to go to an unknown land. And he goes because God says to him that God will make him into a great nation. From his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. To paraphrase the scholar Ellen Davis, I said this last week, but Abram and his family will be the prism through which God's blessings and goodness and love and grace will flow into the world. And so Abram goes because this is what God has promised him. He has promised that from him there will come a great nation. From his family line, all of the descendants of the entire world will be blessed. There is, however, a big problem. By the time God comes to Abram, Abram is already 75 years old. And as we know, that wouldn't preclude him from having children. But his wife, Sarai, remember before she's Sarah, she's known as Sarai. She is 65 and beyond childbearing years. So there's a, a legitimate question on Abram's part. How is this going to happen? How am I going to have descendants and how am I going to be made into a great nation? God spoke to Abram last week and now Abram speaks back to God. Oh Lord God, what will you, when will you give me what you said you would give me? I'm still childless. In fact, the only person I have that will inherit all of my stuff is Eliezer of Damascus, and he is a servant in my house. Abram leaves Haran, travels with this unknown God to an unknown place with expectations. There is the expectation that God will give Abram a child, and Abram has been journeying with God now for a few chapters in the narrative flow of Genesis, and yet there still isn't that child. There is no descendant. What Abram experiences in this moment is something that we all experience, disappointment. And disappointment arises from unmet expectations. There's an article from Christianity Today that was run a couple years ago that talks about what we experience in disappointment. The article says that that feeling of being let down is one of life's toughest emotional experiences. Disappointment arises when we have expectations for something to happen and then it doesn't happen. And we, of course, know how painful that can be. I am speaking to a bunch of Detroit Lions fans who know a thing or two about disappointment. Every year, right, is going to finally be the year where you win the Super Bowl, and then 
pretty early on in the season, disappointment sets in. Take that from me, a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan who knows quite a bit about disappointment. But we feel it in other very real ways. Weddings are filled with the expectations that we will spend the rest of our lives with our new spouse. But as my dad used to say to me, after every wedding, there is a marriage. And sometimes we find out that marriage is a lot of hard work and things aren't necessarily working out. All of that love that used to burn so brightly and so hotly fizzles out and divorce happens. That painful disappointment of an ended relationship, a relationship we expected to last us throughout our entire lives. I think about my mom who has suffered for the last 20 years with rather severe chronic pain. And growing up, there was the expectation that eventually there would be some sort of cure, some treatment, and maybe if we prayed hard enough, a miracle. Every doctor's appointment was filled with a sense of expectation that they would have some answers. And then each time the disappointment of there not being any and not being any sort of treatment that might relieve the pain. That tremendously painful letdown. I think about one of the patients I saw when I was a student chaplain. And the first time I went in to see her, she was full of life, telling me about her family, excited about the possibility of going home. But of course, her time in the hospital dragged on into weeks, to the point where I went to see her on one of my last days as a student chaplain, and she had fallen into a severe depression and was no longer able to speak. That disappointment of not going home had turned into that clinical depression. This past year has been one of great disappointments. I think about two college students in my last congregation, two sisters who independently of each other had found these academic opportunities in the respective fields to travel to New York and to Italy to do things, or to Spain and to do things that they would never have the opportunity to do again. And of course, the pandemic hit and those trips were canceled. And that disappointment that they felt and that their families felt. Or perhaps you had expectations of how your life would turn out that haven't been met. You didn't get that promotion you thought you deserved that you expected to get. That job you were really excited about, they're going to move on to other candidates, but they'll keep your resume on file. We know about disappointments. A ubiquitous human experience. We all experience disappointment in our lives. We all experience it sometimes in really big ways. To be disappointed is what it means to be human, unfortunately. The New York Times wrote an article that describes what happens when we're disappointed isn't just emotional, but it's also physiological. That feeling of disappointment is linked to dopamine or the so-called pleasure chemical that is released during life's positive experiences. The dopamine levels in our brains don't just react to those positive experiences, but dopamine can help us predict what we want or what we need. Our brains generate expectations about the future. Something good happens in the past, and we perceive it as good, and so we expect that to happen again in the future. And what happens is our dopamine levels rise in anticipation, and when we get that good thing, we get that double dose of dopamine. But of course, as we just talked about, not everything in life goes as expected. People hurt us or they fail us. We don't get the promotion. Our health fails. And when we don't get what we expect, researchers call this the reward prediction error. Not only do your dopamine levels fall, but they plummet from that heightened level of expectation and anticipation. 
Abram and Sarai, I'm sure, are people who lived with great disappointment over not having children. Sarai isn't mentioned here, but certainly she is included in that disappointment. How many times had Sarai and Abram tried to conceive? How many times were they filled with the hope that perhaps this was finally the time that Sarai would be pregnant? Did they daydream about their future home, what it would look like bustling with children? Did they imagine the sort of lessons they would pass on to their kids? Did they think about the joy of their pregnancy announcements? But month after month and year after year, Sarai didn't conceive. The pregnancy test always came back negative. And in those days and in that culture, it was viewed as the fault of women. We, of course, know differently now. Whether the problem lay with Abram or Sarai or perhaps both of them, we don't know. Culturally, I'm sure that Sarai bore the brunt of the blame. Given the cultural realities and the expectations, I'm sure that Sarai's disappointment turned into shame over her inability to produce an heir. Perhaps Abram and Sarai had knelt at their bedside and prayed to whatever God they served in those days, hoping for some sort of miracle. That specific disappointment of Abram and Sarai is not reserved to them alone. Couples still struggle with fertility these days. And as I've seen those in my life struggle with fertility, it can be an incredibly painful and incredibly stressful and anxiety-producing experience. About one in eight couples will struggle with fertility in our modern world. And of course, modern medicine has come up with various treatments and various ways to help make pregnancy possible. But that, of course, costs money. And so couples who struggle the way that Abram and Sarai did can not only bear psychological burdens, but also financial ones. I'm sure that as the years went by, as Abram and Sarai both got older, that hope of having children slowly faded away. Their disappointment, their unmet expectations slowly extinguished that candle of hope. That disappointment, I'm sure, was felt through grief, a sense of loss over what never came to be. And I can only hope for Abram and Sarai, the same thing I hope for all modern couples who struggle with fertility, that they had a a community of people around them to support them and care for them and love them through that most difficult experience. So as the years went by, maybe that wound healed and scabbed over. Perhaps Abram and Sarai had accepted that this was the hand that they had been dealt in life, that they were not going to have children. But then God arrives and speaks to them, or more specifically, God speaks to Abram alone. And he's, God says to him, Abram, pick up everything you have and go to the land I will show you because I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so as God speaks, the hope that was long ago extinguished is perhaps relit again. Perhaps Abram and Sarai say to each other, we will not remain childless after all. There are some serious questions, though, as I already mentioned, how in the world is this going to happen How is a post-menopausal woman going to give birth to a child or maybe even multiple children? God has been pretty heavy on the call, pretty heavy on the leave everything behind Abram and follow me, but God has been pretty light on the details at this point. As a light of hope for that child is once again rekindled, so too are Abram's expectations. The expectation that God will give him a child, or more specifically and more culturally, an heir to inherit everything that he has, to make Abram into the great nation that God promised him. And Abram has been journeying with God, and those promises are still not 
fulfilled. Those expectations have not been met. And Abram, who is well acquainted with disappointment, begins to feel it again acutely. Abram is getting impatient with God. But to be fair to Abram, it's not without good reason. There has been a lot that's happened in Abram's life since he left Haran that justifiably makes him anxious. As soon as they leave Canaan, modern Israel and Palestine, a famine sets in, and so uh, Abram and his family have to make way for Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, I mentioned this last week, Abram, in this gross act of of self-preservation, tells them that Sarai is his sister, makes her the object perhaps of violence, and Sarai is taken into the harem of Pharaoh's wives, which causes a plague to happen, and so Abram has to confess what he did to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, get out. Abram gets involved in a dispute with his nephew Lot, and they go their separate ways. There is violence and conflict between the Canaanite tribes that already live in the land. So there is a reason why Abram is anxious. The journey that God calls Abram to has not been an easy one, sometimes by the fault of Abraham and sometimes just by the circumstances that existed. So maybe he's wondering, how long am I going to live? Am I going to live long enough to be made into the great nation that God has promised me? And so Abram voices his disappointment to God. God, you promised me that I would be a great nation, and yet I still remain childless. When God called Abram back in Haran, I'm sure Abram's dopamine levels went back up, expectations rise, anticipations of a child that he had long given up hope for come back again. And when things don't happen, at least according to his own timetable, at least in a way that lowers his stress levels, that disappointment arise and those dopamine levels crash. This time, in Abram's mind, it is God who has let him down. It is God who has not met his expectations. And author Anne Lamott has said that disappointments are resentments under construction. Abram hasn't known this God for very long, and yet he has great expectations. And we, too, have our own expectations of who God is supposed to be, right? A God that if we pray hard enough and with quote-unquote enough faith will meet every one of our desires. A God perhaps that we have been cultured or colored by our own cultural expectations that will flood wealth and material possessions into our lives because that's how we understand what it means to be blessed. We can see God everywhere as long as God is doing what we expect God to be doing. But as soon as God doesn't meet those expectations. As soon as God is doing something we don't expect God to be doing, at least according to how we've understood the promises, that's where the disappointment creeps in. And I think that disappointment with God can be one of the most painful experiences of our lives, that when God isn't doing what we expected or anticipated or wanted God to be doing. Disappointment can lead to doubt and not those honest questions of faith, but but doubting whether God cares or perhaps even if God exists. Disappointment can lead to disillusionment. It can lead to resentment. It is there in Abram's, most, in Abram's greatest moment of disappointment, teetering on the edge of disillusionment and resentment, that God makes a covenant with Abram. A covenant is a promise. And when God makes a covenant, it is irrevocable, trustworthy, and true. 
God says to Abram, look up at the stars of heaven. Can you count them? That's how numerous your descendants will be. When Heather and I lived in Missouri, we lived in a rural community, and it was the the first time in my life that I had lived somewhere that wasn't part of urban sprawl. And that meant for the first time in my life, I lived somewhere without a bunch of light pollution. And so at night, I would, when I would let the dog out for the last time before bed, I could look up into the night sky and see more stars than I'd ever seen before in my life. Light from stars that have been traveling towards the earth for millions of years. Light from stars that perhaps long ago had extinguished, but we can now just see it for the first time. Light from stars that I found out this week was there at the beginning of the universe. God says, look up at the sky. Can you count those stars? That is how big and vast my promise is to you. That is how beautiful and expansive my blessings that we poured out into the world through you and through your family. God's promise to Abram isn't that there won't be hard things along the way. God's promise isn't that Abram won't meet disappointments. God doesn't even promise Abram that he will always meet expectations of who he thinks God should be. Sometimes our expectations of God do not line up with who God, in fact, actually is. And sometimes disappointment with God can be productive as we shed away those false and sometimes destructive assumptions about who God is. God's promise is to be faithful to Abram. God's promise is that through him, love and blessings will flow into the world. And in that promise, there is embedded the truth that God is there with and for Abram. Madeline LaEngle has said, God doesn't stop bad things from happening. That is never the promise. The promise is this. I am with you. I am with you now until the end of time. I don't know where the valleys of disappointment are in your life. I don't know what expectations you've had that perhaps have not come true. I don't know what you expect of God. I also don't know where the night sky is for you, a place where you can look up and remember God's promises given to you. But I do know that none of us can escape disappointment, that we will all experience it in small ways and sometimes in really big ways. But I do place my trust in the fact that just as God met Abram in the valley of his own disappointment, God meets us in ours. I trust that God isn't going to let you and I sit in our disappointment, but that God will come and sit with us. That God does not pass over our painful experiences. God will, I trust, help us to look up at the stars, to see the promises, and to trust that there is something beyond every valley of disappointment. And those promises are true, especially and even when things aren't going our way, even and especially when our expectations are not being met, because God is faithful to what God has promised. Thanks be to God. Amen.